Welcome to tonight's Saturday Night Special, episode 173. I'm Victoria Curie from A Contagious Smile. I challenge you to invest in yourself and others and develop your influence and impact the world by using your time and your talent and your treasures to live out your calling. Having the ability to really support those around us that can't help themselves is key. And one way to be inspired to do that is to listen to this Inspired Stewardship Podcast with my friend, Scott Mabe. What you need to be doing, depending on where they are in this cycle of what we go through, is either offer just to sit and listen. We feel like we are without a voice. So just sit and let us talk. Just hear us. Don't criticize us. Don't judge us. Support us. Just listen. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. If you truly desire to become the person who God wants you to be, then you must learn to use your time, your talent, and your treasures for your true calling. In the Inspired Stewardship Podcast, you will learn to invest in yourself, invest in others, and develop your influence so that you can impact the world. Tonight's Saturday Night Special, I interview Victoria Curie about surviving domestic abuse. Victoria also shares how her faith led her to both survive and later become an advocate for women and children who find themselves in these situations. Victoria also shares what we should do and not do when we're helping others deal with finding themselves in this domestic violence situation. One area that a lot of folks need some help with is around the area of productivity. Getting not just more things done, but actually getting the right things done can be really tough. I've got a course called Productivity for Your Passion that's designed to help you do this and then to hold you accountable and walk with you so that you can tailor productivity not just to be getting more done, but actually getting the right things done. What's more, we take the approach of looking at your personality and how you actually look at things in the world and tailor the productivity system to your personality. Because the truth is, a lot of the systems that are out there are written really well for somebody with a particular personality type. But if you have a different approach to things, they just don't work. But there's tools and techniques and approaches that you can take that will work for anyone. And we help you do that in productivity for your passion. Check it out over at inspiredstewardship.com slash launch. Victoria is a survivor and a mother of a special needs miracle child. She spent over 16 years educating herself and others within the special needs community. Her focus includes bringing help to those who aren't in a position to help themselves. As a survivor of past domestic violence, she also speaks to survivors and advocates for their rights and protection. She's also an author and a recognized speaker on these topics. She considers herself a pit bull who advocates for families and individuals in both the areas of providing for special needs families and for survivors of domestic violence. Welcome to the show, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. Absolutely. Talked a little bit about your journey, some of the work you do in the introduction, but 
I wanted to give you a chance to kind of tell, share a little bit with the listener about your journey from survivor of domestic abuse to what you do today. It's kind of a two-part thing, honestly. I advocate for special needs families as well as domestic violence and abuse survivors. I want everyone to be able to see that beautiful inner light that they carry within a lot of times, whether it's abuse or special needs, they just feel like they're put to the side, that they're not as meaningful as other people. That's absolutely not true. For instance, special needs families, those kids are the most resilient, inspirational kids I've ever had, or the privilege, excuse me, to work with. They're, they don't take anything for granted. They're just fantastic individuals. Women, and there's some men, but I've mostly worked with women and children who've been through abuse. They just put themselves at the wayside, like they don't mean anything to anyone anymore. They have no self-esteem, no self-worth. So being that I went through all this by myself, I don't want that for anyone else that I can help. So I try to help get them back where they belong, let them see who they are, who they can be, and get them back in the workforce and into safety and offer different things that they can do to provide safety for them and their children. And I think a lot of people go through, and thank you, by the way, for mentioning that there are some men, because I think that's often overlooked. And it is often again, often. statistically, I, it's more females, but there, there are men. It does, it does happen. And, and it, with special needs, I think there's a lot, that's a pretty wide spectrum uh, of what that means. So how you focus on this because of your mm -hmm. own past history, but what, um, what was it about it that brought, why are you doing this work as opposed to just you've survived, which is a huge accomplishment already. Thank what you. brought you into actually feeling like you needed to do this to help others? I'd never push religion on anyone. I won't push religion on anyone. I was not meant to survive. My daughter was not meant to survive. They've done medical studies on my daughter. We cannot figure out how she's overcome what she has. The obstacles that she's overcome, they told me that she wouldn't live. She wouldn't talk. She wouldn't eat. She wouldn't be able to, to function with the executive function disorder and cognitive issues that we have from her coding and seizing. So I really believe, and this is just me, that we were kept here for a reason. We were kept here for a purpose. And I have no idea, honestly, how I made it through what I went through. And I want to pay it forward. I want to help back. I love seeing people smile. That's where the contagious smile comes in. I love seeing people realize their worth and they are worth fighting for. So it just came naturally. At first, I was that woman with the head down and jumping at every noise and petrified of everything. And I went through it myself. And so I was very scared. And then I thought, I wouldn't want to wish this on anyone. I wouldn't want them to go through this. And at the same time I was going through this, I was fighting to have my daughter survive in the NICU and the TICU and PICU because we were going from one to another. And I was like, if I could help remove some of that burden from other people, that's what I want to do. And the chief doctor for the cranial facial division at the time with my daughter asked me to start advocating. He's like, because you always talk to other parents that are around when you're there and offer ideas and suggestions and they're great. And as physicians, we're only allowed to do so much. So this is fantastic. So I just ran with it and went from there. <laughs> so you mentioned not pushing religion on folks, but also your own kind of faith background. How did this journey intersect and overlap with your faith journey as you went through things? 
it just made it even stronger if that was possible because there were times honestly on the floor bleeding from places that people men and women should not bleed from that I literally was just like let me go I don't I can't do this anymore I don't want to do this anymore and then I would feel my daughter kick me like I'm here too you can't just give up through all the surgeries and as a parent to watch your child code and go gray and there's nothing you can do and the doctors are working on her and you're begging and praying and you really think this is it and a chaplain's beside you holding your hand and you literally are like i can't lose my daughter i can't lose my daughter and at one point honestly they said to call it and i had an amazing resident who we're friends with to today who couldn't give up he had just hated his wife had just had a baby and he says i can't quit he got her back and he's very religious and he just said i couldn't do it because i thought of it is what if this was my kid and he just kept fighting and the residents like, there's nothing else we can, I'm sorry, the, the doctor said, there's nothing else we can do. And the resident said, I can't give up. And he didn't. And like I said, we're still close with him and his family now. He's an emergency room physician. And he, every time I see him, I always remind him, he's like, you don't have to remind me. I thought, you know, I was like, I owe you everything because you saved your life. And it's just, when you go through that and you know, you're carried through, then you know that. It is within you and it is your purpose and calling to help others. And so that's what we have been doing. My daughter is just as active about helping others and advocating for the children as I do. And to be clear, you were going through some of this abuse, much of this abuse while you were pregnant with your child, correct? For what All of said. the abuse transpired yeah. during the pregnancy. All, All of it. Of it. Okay. Yes. Yeah, which just makes it another layer of difficult, too, because you're, yeah. So I told you when we talked about coming on the show and sharing the message that I didn't want to spend all of the time where I think a lot of times we do, which is on what happened to you. I really wanted to focus some on what we can do about it, so to speak. Uh, So as families and friends, first off, how can we recognize that there may be some level of domestic abuse, physical, mental, emotional, whatever it is going on in in the people that we intersect with, friends, family, others that we love? What should we be looking for? That is such a great question. We You need to think about it for women, it's one in four in the civilian sector, in the military law enforcement sector, it's one in three. And that is the stats that are reported. So think about the individuals that don't report it out of retribution. But there are red flags, there are signs that people can start looking at and looking for. Um, I, and like I said, I'm not a psychiatrist or psychologist, but I really believe I've earned my doctorate in hard knocks. So <laughs> it's, if you see someone that you love, male or female, flags are flags they're not gender related. There is just the flags. So if you see someone who is starting to withdraw, who is acting completely different, who used to participate, say in family dinners and family events and called all the time and texted all the time, and that's just whittling away, then that's a red flag because we're getting isolated. We're being removed slowly from our comfort zone. In the beginning, in the love bombing stage or the courtship stage, the significant other puts us on a pedestal and makes us believe that we are this amazing individual and they parade us around like a trophy significant other. And then it's 
they brag and brag about us all the time and how amazing we are. But then right after everything changes, everything that was said about us is in what 80 or nothing and garbage and things of that nature. You, you start seeing a change in the disposition and demeanor of the victim. They become very quiet and isolated. And they sometimes they even start, depending on the cycle where you are, become very protective and defensive of their partner mm-hmm. because they're afraid if hypothetically you got mad at them, they're going to get the retribution of it on themselves. So that is a very big sign as well. Just kind of you know, bringing themselves into an occlusion, to isolation, just not, if you constantly are saying, hey, let's go to lunch or let's go, have I can't, I got something to do, or you make the agreement to go and then you cancel the last minute. There is a reason something's going on, probably because we're hiding some sort of injury or a bruise or we're trying to prevent it. And that is a high alert to get active and see what's going on in that person's life. So let's talk about that kind of next step. If you're starting to see that isolation, changes in behavior, withdrawal, different things like that, again, as an outsider, what can we do? What's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? Obviously, nobody wants to make things worse, but at the same time, what do we do? And when I talk to, to, to women and men, <clears throat> and when I do speaking engagements, I often ask them to bring family members because believe it or not, a lot of times I'll have family members that will belittle the victim slash survivor in front of them and say, they chose to stay and they never left and they deserved it. And, yada, yada. and they say it in front of them. And I address them and say, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been abused? No. Good for you. I'm so happy that you can say you're one of those few numbers that haven't been through it. But let me just say, I want you to imagine the worst day of your life. And then I want you to take all of your family and support your friends, everybody you rely on and love and have them just tear you down and shred you on that one particular day. And then you will see basically what one of our best days are like, because you're not going through the abuse. You don't be part of the problem, be part of the solution. So, you know, you can't walk in our shoes and tell us what you would do if you haven't been there. That is such a a really big deal. And I had a mom that just wouldn't stop saying she chose it. She chose to stay. We don't raise our hand and say we elect to be beaten. None of us choose that. So I couldn't get this point across to her that you're making it worse by humiliating her when she's already at zero. She's got nothing and you're not making her feel like well, maybe that's where I should be because my own family isn't supporting and backing me. So I asked her, I said, I'm so proud that you never had to go through abuse and I hope that stays that way for you. Let me ask you a question. If God forbid you were diagnosed with cancer and this one lady in particular said, well, I have breast cancer. And I said, I'm so sorry that you're in remission. That's great. Congratulations. And she said, yeah, I'm cancer free. And I said, when you were going through your cancer treatment, would you have gone to a podiatrist? And she goes, why would I do that? And I was like, then why are you telling her what to do? Because you've never been in that situation. Then it resonated with her and she got it. So I said, and then she came to me and she says, what can I do? I get it now. I see what you're meaning. And I said, you might be going at her thinking that what you're doing is helping, but it's not, it's making it worse. What you need to be doing, depending on where they are in this cycle of what we go through is either offered just to sit and listen. We feel like we are without a voice. 
So just sit and let us talk. Just hear us. Don't criticize us. Don't judge us. Support us. Just listen. And then if we're not ready to talk, just be in the room with us. Be present. Be there. If we want to hold your hand, hold our hand. We feel so alone. We feel isolated from the world. If we're not ready to talk, that is our sign of saying, hey, I'm not there yet, but I can get there. How about you just sit with me and I can have a few minutes with a human being that's not going to punch me in the face or kick me in the ribs. Just sit with me. And you can also go to a level of offering them shelter, offering to help them get out, offer to give them a safe haven, help them move out. But the reason so many women and men go back is because they don't have a execution plan in place. Mm -hmm. And because they don't, and it's not complete, they go back because it fails. Mm -hmm. They don't have somewhere to go. They don't have the resources ready and they don't have anywhere else. So they go back because it is the most dangerous time when you try to leave. It is the most dangerous. Seven times more deadly during. Yes. And 50% of the homicides come from this particular event. Trying to leave. Yeah. So you really need to have your stuff together and I help do those plans. I help you realize what you can and can't do. And then you can get out and you can, I tried to get out once and I paid the toll for it. And to this day, it haunts me because he shot and killed our puppy to show me what he would do to me. So that haunts me to this day. And then I had my plan together and I've never gone back. And so now I'm trying to help other people see what I didn't see and what I didn't have available to me with those resources. Yeah. And I think, think that's important for people to realize too, is it's, if you are helping people exit from this sort of situation, it, it is serious. It isn't, and I don't say that to frighten people or make people think, oh, I don't want to help somebody now because it puts me in danger, but rather recognize that you re- there, you really do have to help have a true plan of action with a beginning, a middle, and an end, and usually involves support from professional organizations, getting to a shelter that specializes, because nowadays people can find anybody, anyway. I've interviewed and worked with as a coach some folks that I I have to be very careful about what information I share publicly because I don't want their abuser to track back and find them and it would be I'll use an example I'm part of an organization and we take pictures of people on an event on the weekend and they came to me because I do the website work and said hey can we put all the pictures up and I'm like great do you have a media release from every single person and every single picture that says that it's okay to post their picture publicly because I don't know that there's not a survivor of domestic abuse or something else in these pictures that we would then be exposed. (laughs) (laughs) It literally blew that they hadn't thought of it. And the only reason I know it is because I have dealt with survivors at some level uh, in my, my own history, in my own past. Otherwise I never would have thought of it either. Is there anything else like that as those people that are, around and maybe trying to help somebody or beginning to see this, what are some of the best ways, whether it's resources or things to think about, what's your top three or top five things that people really need to pay attention to? Are you talking about when they're trying to exit or just in the beginning? When they're trying to exit. They need to have a solid escape plan, number one. And when they do leave, they need to feel secure more than ever in their entire life because I hate the word paranoid because it makes you sound like that you're not stable mentally because 
you are going to be paranoid, but that doesn't mean you're unstable. That just means you're cautious. I like to use the term for being cautious of your surroundings because of the situation. You're not paranoid. That doesn't mean you're crazy. You just need to know your surroundings. Like I go through and tell you things that people don't even think about to make sure you're safe. I'll show you how to be safe online. I'll show you how to make sure you can't be tracked online, how you're not tracked by your vehicle, how you're not tracked by your phone. If you're not working because he held that over the financial abuse over on you, I will help you do life skill classes and help with a resume and get you back out there. When I talk to people, I don't do the video um, mm-hmm. or if I, I don't record the video part of it and I let them alter their name and their geographic location and things of that nature, just so that they feel safe. They need to know that there is safety out there. They need to know that they have a safe haven that's bully free and judgment free. They might need to have some other resources available to them, even if it's for their own protection and peace of mind, then you can help provide that. And it's just the simple things that you and I take for granted on a day-to-day basis. Those are things that all need to be implemented in for them, not to just to survive, but to thrive. And what you said about paranoia, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. It because they've been through a major trauma, period. And I would include in that, because I know we're talking a lot and we're talking about physical, but you also can have very serious trauma and abuse without somebody ever laying a hand on somebody, too. Absolutely. It does happen. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That tears the, the person down just as much. Absolutely. Because yeah. when you hear something every single day, when you hear... I love you. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. It resonates and you keep it and you hear it. And then you live by that. If your partner says to you every day, you're worthless, you're ugly. No one's ever going to want you. They, everyone feels bad for me for being with you. You know, you're never going to amount to anything. You know, you're disgusting. Look at you with all these scars and this and that. Then that's what you believe because that's what you hear every single day. And then you feel like you have no self-worth. You have no self-esteem and you feel like you're not even worth living because why? Is this the best that you're going to get? Is He makes you or she makes you feel like this is the best you're ever going to get because this is what you deserve. And it's amazing because I don't want to give these people one ounce of credit, but they're really brilliant at what they do. They're charismatic. They're charming. They're manipulative. And they know how to play on your heartstrings. They know how to find your weakness. And then they manipulate it in their favor. Yeah. yeah. It's narcissism. And Absolutely. It's, uh, uh, yeah. It's... Narcissists are very good at convincing everyone else of the reality that they see. <laughs> and I notice I didn't say the reality that they say is real, but it's they can convince people that they bend people to their will of this is real and they're good at it. Very good at it. <laughs> and it's what sometimes makes them very successful people. There are a lot of studies that show that some of the most successful people that we all know are actually score very highly on, on narcissism. It allows them to do well in our world, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's always expressed in a healthy way either. That's right. Absolutely. So let's go the other way. What are some, and you mentioned a few when we were just talking, but let's expand on that. What are some of the questions that either you personally or that you see other survivors get that are the wrong question that we shouldn't be asking. Don't ask them why did they stay or why are you staying? Nobody is wanting to stay. Nobody's wanting to go home and say, you haven't hit me on the left side today. How about we go there? 
we don't do that. We're not asking for that. A lot of time, and people don't think about it, that we're also protecting our children and we're preventing them from getting hit and we're taking it for them. Don't say this would never happen to me because you know what? I guarantee you prior to the relationship beginning, we said the same thing. And now we won't say that. You nobody signs up for it. Nobody thinks that this is going to happen to them. And then it does. And nobody just goes out for a walk and says, oh, I'm not going to get attacked today. And then it sometimes it happens. It's more about if you think you're going to say something negative, don't say anything at all. Because that's what makes it so much more challenging. Why didn't you stay? Or why didn't you leave? Why didn't you call for help? You know what? When you do call for help, most times what happens is they vet with the abuser and they interrogate the victim. They make us go through everything. Like this is one of the most dangerous calls that a law enforcement officer will respond to is domestic violence. They'll go in and they normally, hopefully will have two on scene, two officers on scene, and they separate them. One takes the man, one takes the woman. They get the stories and then they switch. And then you have to tell stories again. And the thing is that they're just like, why'd you make him so mad? And the thing is, is that we hear that a lot from people on the outside too. Why did you make him mad when he felt he had to do that? You know what? I want to tell you that if you do everything by the book of what they require, demand, whatever you want to call it, they're still going to find a reason. They could go to work and somebody could yell at them about their work product. Somebody could cut them off on the way home. Their cheating partner might say that they're done. Whatever the case may be, they're going to come home and take it out on you, regardless if you've had dinner on time, if the house is clean, if you're wearing what you are allowed to wear. If you're wearing only what makeup you're allowed to wear, you're still going to get the ramifications of that abuser because somebody else made his day worse. So asking, why did you make him mad? Why didn't you leave? Why? These are the questions that, and then also when people say, I'd never let that happen to me. My family said that to me constantly. I would never let that happen to me. The first time he hit me, I'd have laid him out. Yeah, you can't say that. You absolutely cannot say that. And then it makes us feel even worse. And it makes us feel like maybe we just need to stay here. And then you get to the point, and I'm not, I'm on my own, and sorry, I'm talking about my own situation. But the women I talk with tell me similar. We get to a point where we're hit so far down, literally and physically and psychologically, that we feel like if we died, nobody would know. Nobody would even care. And that's because we have no sport. We have nothing. And so it's like, why are we even going through? Why are we going through this process day in and day out when I don't matter to anyone? So stop thinking negative and put yourself in a position of strength and offer that person support. That's what needs to be done. That would make such a huge change. And we need to start really educating our children because they can end the cycle. They don't have to continue it. My the cycle with me ended with me. It's not going on with my kids. It's not going to happen. And my daughter can come in here and tell you, my mom's never yelled at me. And I tell her the verbal, like you said, it is awful. I still remember things that were said to me verbally. They'll never go away. Can I remember every time I was punched? No. But I remember those harsh verbal words that were stated to me. And then when their kids are seeing it in that environment, they're seeing it's okay for a parent to be that way to the other parent. It's okay for a boy to be that way to a girl or for a girl to be treated that way by a boy or whatever the gender quality is. It doesn't matter. Man, boy, girl, whatever it is. They're seeing that it's okay 
for one parent to treat the other that way and that they're just learning that's what they can do as well so we've talked a lot about the abuse and what we can do there but as you mentioned up front the other component of your work is around families with special needs and special needs children so it, when we think about there, what's some of the most important things that we need to understand? Again, if we're the family and the friends that are surrounding those people, but not directly in the family, what are some of the things that we need to understand to be able to help and support them? Special needs is a community all on their own. We're a very tight-knit community. Um, you know, most <clears throat> people who are not in that community will never get it because I hear so many moms that are like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to make it at soccer practice at five. Oh, I got to go take Kate to ballet class or whatever. We're sitting here going, I have 15 doctors and therapists a week. I got to go home and make the formula for the feeding tube. I got to make sure her trach doesn't get occluded. I got to make sure this is done and this is done. And I get the monthly feeding supplies brought in in time. I get the monthly medical supplies brought in on time. If my nurse doesn't show up, I don't get to sleep again tonight. What if she has a cold and then it turns into RSV? These are all things that we think about moment to moment. Like we realize that in a moment's notice, we could lose our child in certain situations just because they get a plug in their trach or they have a heart condition and the heart fails. These are things most parents never have to worry about. And so instead, what we really want is just to have support. Come sit with us. Our kids are not contagious. And yet society puts them so far away from everybody else because they're worried that this is going to be a kid who's going to give them some kind of contagion issue. And it's not true. They're not going to give you a failed heart because you hug them. They are the greatest, sweetest kids. They will change these other kids if you just spend some time with them because they value every minute of every day of their life. So before I ask you a few questions that I like to ask every guest, is there anything else you'd like to share about the work that you do? We're trying to pay it forward. I've been doing this for 16 plus years and my platform has gotten much larger and I've been doing this out of my own pocket and pro bono basically from day one. And now we're starting to go through and ask for donations. We are, the average time it takes to get a service dog is five plus years. And for a child, that's outrageous. My husband is a canine, was a canine handler as well as law enforcement. We are now and have been, we turned our whole backyard, we have a huge backyard and we have custom made a kennel system and we've paid for all of this. And now we're going to start breeding the golden retrievers and be able to help these families obtain their dogs faster. We've been paying for all this. And so now we've got to find a way to get some support coming in to help. If you go to the site, I offer free support groups, free social groups so people can meet other people like themselves and really build a support team. I offer legal documentation because I did go to paralegal school where I offer that. And then we have life skill classes and things of that nature. And we are literally anything on there that is of a fee, which really is not a lot, is to the dollar of what it costs to provide it, not any kind of anything else. I've been working for all this for free. My husband is as well. We've got to be able to survive by being able to pay for the stuff with the dogs and pay for the stuff to pay for the website, you know, the resources and things of that nature. I'm new at that phase of it and I've got to figure out how to make that part happen. So if you have any suggestions, please help me. There, there may be somebody out there who works in around nonprofit fundraising and how does that work? That would be able to help with that, that it is a different phase, as you said, to how it works. 
So my brand is Inspired Stewardship, and I run everything through the field of stewardship, and yet that's one of those words that I've discovered means different things to different people. So I wanted to ask, what does the word stewardship mean to you, and what is the impact of that understanding? Just the fact that you are doing what you're doing. You're helping so many people with such a positive outlook on things. Like You're such a comfortable person to talk to, and especially for a person who's been through what I've been through, and you're a guy, don't get me wrong, it is a little challenging for some women, but it's not for me. You're very comfortable to talk with. You have that like brother feeling to you where you just feel like you can just open up and talk. You have a great sense of humor. You really listen. And that's different. You do talk to other people and it's, I know they can't tell me what I just said. And that makes you uncomfortable, but you're not that way. And when I think of what you're doing, it, it is so inspirational because you have so much to offer and so much resource to give out there to everyone. And I really think any and everyone should really take advantage of that because that's real authentic help that is not easy to find these days anymore. But when you think about the word stewardship itself, what does that word mean to you? It just means that it's part of my calling to go and continue to inspire and pay it forward and help others with my platform, because I really believe that's why I'm here. So this is my favorite question, though I've been told by some guests that it's their least favorite question. So we'll see, we'll see, we'll see whether you like it or not. If I invented this magic machine and I could pluck you from the chair where you are today and transport you into the future 150 to 200 years, and magically through the power of this machine, you were able to look back on your entire life yeah. and see all of the impacts, all of the ripples, all of the relationships, all of the connections that you've left behind – what impact do you hope you've left on the world? God, I'd have to say I love the question that it with one voice, you can make a difference. One voice can make a difference. A brick can start building a foundation. I would really hope that I make a dent in helping bring awareness to domestic violence. I hope that I can provide awareness for women, men, and children of what to look for, how to help prevent it, how to help get out of it and stay safe and stay alive and thrive, not just survive. And I hope that I can also bring awareness to the special needs community of different waivers and different resources that they can have and they can get and that we can build a gap between the special needs and the general community and make them friends great kids they're great individuals don't place judgment we don't judge you don't judge us you never know one day i wasn't disabled 18 years ago 17 years ago and now i am so you never know if it happens to you or not i just really hope that i can make a difference is basically what i guess would be my answer <laughs> so what's on your roadmap what's coming next as you continue on this journey i have been doing between four and six shows a day being either a guest or a host and I have a second book about to come out as well. And we're about to start doing summer camp, which is going to be a lot of fun. So I guess that's on the immediate horizon. And as we continue down our journey, we're going to be doing the breeding of the dogs and getting those kids out to meet the dogs. And we still fundraise for the domestic violence shelters. 
and for special needs. And then we do a toy drive every year and take it to the chronic facilities. We've done it every year for 13 years now. And we raise between 250 and 400 toys. Awesome. Awesome. So you can follow, follow Victoria on Instagram or YouTube under a contagious smile or find out more about the work she does over at acontagioussmile.com. Of course, I'll have links to those in the show notes. Is there anything else you'd like to share with the listener? I just want to thank everybody for listening and realize that you are worth it. And I'm super proud of the fact that you listen to this whole thing because that means you do know you're worth it. And so you're worth fighting for. Thanks so much for listening to the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. As a subscriber and listener, we challenge you to not just sit back and passively listen, but act on what you've heard and find a way to live your calling. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor. Go over to inspiredstewardship.com slash iTunes rate, all one word iTunes rate. It'll take you through how to leave a rating and review and how to make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you can get every episode as it comes out in your feed. Until next time, invest your time, your talent, and your treasures, develop your influence, and impact the world.